Two weeks ago, we talked about the dangers of going into debt. At that time, we looked at how when you go in, into debt, you become enslaved to your creditor. We looked at how when you're in debt, you're not able to help others out as much as you'd like to help them. And how by going into debt, you're actually telling God that you don't trust Him to provide for you and to provide for your needs. Last week, we talked about some of the practical ideas, some practical ways to get out of debt. We talked about developing a plan and what that plan would look like. We talked about knowing what you're getting into before you buy something. And we talked about how giving your tithe of 10% to God first actually helps you get out of debt because then God makes it possible for you to live much better on the remaining 90% than you ever did before on the 100%. But you know what? Getting out of debt is one thing. Staying out of debt is another. And the Bible has some practical things to say about that too, particularly on the topic of saving. Many of you already know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. If not, then you can read about him for yourself starting in Genesis chapter 37 and going through to the end of the book. He's one of my favorite people in the Old Testament. We already read a passage from Genesis chapter 41 earlier in our worship celebration, but just to give you some of the background of what's going on there in chapter 41, let me explain this to you. Joseph was a Hebrew boy. He was one of 12 brothers, except Joseph was given preferential treatment by his father better treatment than the other brothers received. And so his older brothers became resentful of him. And they even learned to hate him. Until one day, they had the opportunity to attack Joseph. And they seized that opportunity. And then they took him and they sold him as a slave to a caravan that was heading for Egypt. Well, once in Egypt, Joseph worked as a slave. Right up until he was accused of a crime that he didn't commit and he was thrown into prison. And while he was there in prison, it was revealed that God had given him the ability to interpret dreams. So two full years later, when Pharaoh himself had a dream that greatly disturbed him and no one else could help, Pharaoh was told about Joseph. And Joseph was brought from the prison to appear before Pharaoh. And Joseph explained to Pharaoh that the dream meant that Egypt was about to experience a time of great prosperity. And that this time of prosperity would last for seven years. But then the bad news. After those seven years of prosperity, there would come seven years of famine. And then Joseph proceeded to make some suggestions to Pharaoh on how to prepare for this famine. This is what he said. Joseph said, Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so that there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Well, with those suggestions, Joseph impressed Pharaoh so much that Pharaoh put him in charge of the country. Joseph was second in command only to Pharaoh. He was brought from prison, appeared before Pharaoh, and immediately was placed second in command of the country. And so it came to Joseph to decide what to do during these next 14 years. And what did he decide to do? 
Well, he decided to follow his own advice. And so he saved 20% of all the crops during the seven years of prosperity so that there would be enough to get them through the time of famine. And that's exactly what happened. And as a result, not only Egypt, but the surrounding countries as well were saved when the famine came. Now that was on a national scale. But we can learn from that example ourselves how to handle our personal finances. We can learn about how to save up for times of famine in our own lives. Because they're going to come. You will experience times when money is tight. And if you're not prepared, you're setting yourself up for constant debt and ongoing tension. So let's take a look at what Joseph teaches us about saving. The first thing we learn here is that we need to save during times of prosperity. You know, contrary to popular opinion, you don't have to spend everything you make. You're under no legal or ethical obligation to do so. So instead of spending it all, save some of it. Save it for an emergency. Save it for retirement. Save it to pass on to your children. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Why do the wise have wealth and luxury? Well, they have wealth and luxury because they don't spend everything. They save some of it. Think about Joseph. What did he do in times of prosperity? Well, what could he have done? He could have just enjoyed the prosperity and used up everything he gained. He could have wasted it. But that's not what he did, is it? No, instead of of using it all up, he took 20% of the prosperity and he saved it for a later time. Because he knew that even though the country was enjoying a particularly prosperous time at the moment, that things would not always be that way. Tough times were coming. And so Joseph saved up so that they'd be ready when those times came. Going back to the suggestions that Joseph gave to Pharaoh, Joseph said in Genesis 41 verse 35, have them, have the supervisors, gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so that there will be food in the cities. Store it away and guard it. What is Joseph doing here? Well, he's saving it. And he's not only saving it, but he's guarding it. He's not going to let it be stolen. He's not going to use it himself for any purpose other than what it's intended for. He's saving it. Now take a look at this verse. Centuries before this this proverb that I'm going to read for you, centuries before this proverb was even written down, Joseph was already living it out. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. In other words, it's saying that a, a wise person, a prudent person, can see that tough times are coming and so they can save up and be ready for them when they come. And then the verse goes on and says, the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So we need to follow Joseph's example. And we need, we need to save during times of prosperity. Saving up for times of danger. For times of famine. But even beyond that, there are other reasons to save up too. Maybe you want to save for retirement. 
Or maybe you plan to at least cut back on how much you have to work. Wouldn't it be nice to have the ability to do that financially? And what about the next generation? Do you want to have something to, to pass on to your children and to your grandchildren? If you want to do that, then you need to save during your times of prosperity so you have something to leave behind. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says, Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, not just their children, but to their children's children. But do you know what you need to do in order to leave an inheritance? Well, I suppose you have to die. That's one thing. But you also have to save while you're still here. You can't spend everything you get. You've got to put some of it away and hold on to it so that you can pass it on to your children and even to your children's children. So how do you do this? How do you save? How much should you save? Well, there's a pretty wide range of opinion on this. Joseph saved 20%. Wouldn't it be nice if we could all put that much away? But Joseph was in a special condition here. He knew that he had only seven years of prosperity to save up for seven years of famine. He had extremes on both ends. Extreme prosperity followed by extreme famine. So I'm not convinced that this 20% is necessarily a mandate for everyone to save 20%. But I do believe it's a mandate for everyone to save something. If you can save 20%, then great. Go for it. If not, then maybe a good idea for you would be to follow the 10-10-80 principle. Give God 10% of your income, put 10% into savings, and live on the other 80%. That's a pretty good target to aim for. And for some, maybe you're particularly well off or you have a, a specific gift for giving or you want to increase your nest egg. Perhaps you choose to live on less than the 80% in order to direct more into the other two. But 10 10 is a pretty good place to start. Because, you see, God's not just interested in how you handle that first 10% of your money. He's interested in how you handle all of it. Yes, He expects you to give to Him that tithe of 10%. But beyond that, the Bible instructs us to put some of it into savings. And it shows us how to use the rest of it as wise managers of the money that God has entrusted to us. Something like two-thirds of the parables of Jesus deal with money. And the Bible as a whole has more to say about how we handle money than it does about almost any other subject. So don't just waste your money frivolously. Give it, invest it, and spend it wisely. I like John Wesley's advice in this area. He said, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And I think that's some pretty good advice. Use your money the way God intends for you to use it. And that includes saving some of it for times of famine that may be coming down the road. Number two, something else that we can learn from the story of Joseph about how we need to, to save for the future and how we use that money that we save. Use what you've saved when needed. We learned that. We learn that we need to use what we've saved when it's needed. Now the key word there is needed. Going out for that lobster dinner is not a need. That's a desire. And there is a difference. You shouldn't be digging into your savings to pay for that kind of thing. I flip through the Future Shop flyer every Friday in the newspaper and I see all kinds of things that I'd like to have. But those are desires. 
Do I need them? Uh, sometimes I might feel like I do, but no, I don't need them. So if I can't afford them, I don't buy them. G.K. Chesterton said, There are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. Maybe we need to learn to tell the difference between what is a need and what is a desire. Because we tend to use those terms interchangeably today. And when we start to believe that all of our desires are actually needs, we end up spending uncontrollably and we're left with nothing for when real need arises. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortress. The poverty of the poor is their destruction. When real needs arise, you need to have some wealth to handle them. You need to have some wealth that can protect you, that can be your fortress. Otherwise, you're heading for destruction. And don't be fooled. There will be lean times. And it's then, in those times, that you'll be glad that you have something saved up. Because we're not talking about untouchable money. We're talking about saving money, but we're not making the money untouchable. We're talking about money that's reserved for times of famine. And when that time comes, it's there to use. Let's take a look at Joseph again. In, in Genesis 41, verse 56, it says, So with severe famine everywhere, what did Joseph do? It says, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed the grain to the Egyptians. Joseph had saved up grain for seven years. And in all that time, he never withdrew from what he was saving. But when the time came that it was actually needed, he opened up the doors and he used the grain. He had been saving, but he hadn't been saving just for the sake of saving. He was saving so that there would be enough food to sustain the population when the famine came. Now think about it. How stupid would it have been for Joseph to save all of that grain and when the famine came to decide that they had worked too hard and too long to save all that grain and so there was no way they were going to dig into it now. How stupid would it have been to let the whole country starve while he was hoarding all of that grain in the storehouses? Now Joseph was smarter than that. He knew that he was saving for a reason. So when the time came, he wasn't afraid to use it. He wasn't afraid to use it for himself or for others. Now, we don't normally talk about saving up for a famine. In our society, we talk about saving for a rainy day. But it's basically the same idea. So what I'm saying is save up for a rainy day and be smart enough to know when it's raining. Because that's when you make use of what you've saved. You don't want to hold on to it so tightly that you forget what it's for. You don't want to hoard it. You don't want to cling to it so tightly that it doesn't help you or help others in those times of need. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Hoarding riches harms the saver. So you want to save, but you don't want to hoard. And when it's needed, when you've been saving for a purpose and that purpose presents itself, use it and use it wisely. A third lesson we learn from Joseph is earn a profit on your savings. It's okay. It's okay to earn a profit on your savings. Joseph had saved up grain for the time of famine. 
And then the famine came. So what did Joseph do then with the grain? Well, in Genesis 41, verse 57, it says, And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. People came to buy grain. They paid for the grain. Joseph was selling it for a profit. Now, I certainly don't get the impression that Joseph was gouging the people and no one complained that Joseph was taking advantage of them. They were just happy that the grain was available for them to buy. And so Joseph made an honest profit on it for Pharaoh. Jesus talked about earning a profit too. Jesus told a story about a wealthy man who was going away on a journey and so he called three of his servants together and he entrusted them with some of his money. To the first servant, he gave five bags of silver. Well, that servant took those five bags, went out, invested it, and earned five more bags of silver for his employer. One of the other servants was given two bags of silver. He went out, invested that, and he made two more bags of silver. But the third servant was only given one bag of silver, and he was so afraid of investing it poorly and losing it that he buried it in the ground so that nothing would happen to it. Well, when the employer returned home, the servants each came to him and reported to him what they had done with the money. And for the first two servants, the employer was full of praise. He told them, well done. You've done an awesome job. I gave you some of my money and you proved yourself to be faithful and wise in how you handled it. And so I'm going to give you a promotion. I'm going to entrust you with more responsibilities. Well done. Let's celebrate. But when that third servant came, he had to explain that he had been afraid of losing the money. And so he hid it in the ground. And then he gave that single bag of money back to the employer, gave him exactly how much he had been given. But the employer was not impressed. This is what he said, Matthew chapter 25, verses 26 to 27. The master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And then we're told that he fired the servant and threw him out of the house. Now, that story that Jesus told tells us to take whatever God has blessed us with and, and to use it, not hide it away. If you have some talent, then put it to use for God's glory. If you have some influence, don't squander it. Use it wisely. If you've been blessed with some money, then use it the way God wants you to use it. And that includes investing it and making a profit on it. Yes, you can go too far and you can start to act selfishly and you can start to do things out of greed. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about just being wise in the way that you handle your money. It makes sense to invest it wisely and honestly and turn a profit. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11 says, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes disappear quickly. Wealth from hard work grows over time. And isn't that what investments do? They grow over time. So don't be afraid to invest and earn a profit. And the fourth thing 
that we learn from this example of Joseph is this. Place your trust in God, not money. With all this talk about being financially secure, it's important to remember that your security is not in your finances. It's in God who blesses you with financial gain and it's in Him that you should place your trust. Mark chapter 8, verse 36 says, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? You know, it's kind of a catch-22. God wants to bless you. And oftentimes He wants to bless you financially. But the danger is, all too often when people are blessed financially, they take their eyes off of the blesser and focus on the blessing. Well, the great thing about Joseph is that he never fell into that trap. He always maintained his trust in God. In times of prosperity, he trusted in God. In times of famine, he trusted in God. And even when they came through the famine and Joseph was given a lot of credit for allowing that to happen, for, for, for bringing the whole nation through this time of famine, he didn't let it go to his head. He maintained his trust in God. In fact, during those years of famine, his brothers, who had initially sold him into slavery, came to Egypt looking for help themselves. And they came face to face with this brother that they had sold into slavery years earlier and had since assumed dead. But instead of seeking retribution, Joseph chose to forgive them. And years later, Joseph told his brothers, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he told them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. So you see, Joseph never allowed his wealth or his position to distract him from placing his trust in God and God alone. Through all the events of his life, he saw God's hand at work and he knew where his trust needed to be placed. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And Jesus put it even more succinctly when he said in Luke chapter 12, verse 21, Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Your trust needs to be placed in God, not in wealth. So there you have it. We've taken the past two months to talk about stress. And over the past three weeks, we've talked about one of the greatest sources of stress, money. So as we wrap all of this up, let me ask you, how are you going to manage your money? Are you going to continuously battle with debt? Or are you going to develop a plan to get out of debt and stay out of debt? Are you going to honor God with your money by giving Him the 10% that He expects and by using the remaining 90% wisely too? Are you going to be financially prepared for the future? for emergencies and tough times that you may encounter in life? Are you going to be ready for opportunities that may arise for you to help others? Will you be ready financially for retirement? 
and for passing on to your children some of your wealth? Or will you use everything that comes in so that when famine comes, you have nothing left? And as important as money is in our lives, will you maintain your trust solely in God? He promises to provide for your needs. He is the source of every real blessing. And the Bible tells us that every perfect gift comes from above, from Him. Do you believe that? You know, money is a big part of our lives. And just like every other area of our lives, God wants to guide us in how to use it to the fullest. But ultimately, the choice is ours. Will we trust Him with our money? Will we trust Him with our lives?